Welcome everyone, good to see you this morning. My name is Tim Harris, pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, just privileged to welcome you to worship this morning in the overflow. God bless you guys. Uh, we love you and, uh, and are always excited to join you in worship together. Perry, Oklahoma, Pastor Brian, we love you. God bless all of you out there. Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 3. Sometimes as preachers, sometimes uh, in church we make things sound very, very complicated, but uh, this morning back to something very, very basic. Colossians chapter 3. If you wonder what the Christian life is about, if you wonder what the gospel is about, if you wonder what your life is about, it's all here. It's all here in this passage, and I want us to come back to it this morning and remind each other what really, really matters. When I was a kid, there was an old man <clears throat> who went to our church who used to give his testimony. He would tell his story of, of how he found salvation in Christ, and he would always begin it by saying, when I was nine, I was nine years old when my change came. And that was the language he would use. I was about nine years old when my change came. The, the, the previous generation, the older folks, really understood something about salvation that we have lost. And, and that is that at its very uh, nature, its very core, salvation is about conversion. Coming to Christ, the life in Christ is conversion. It's about change. And the fact is that as we live the Christian life, it is a life of always changing to be more like Christ. We forget that. We forget that. We very, very easily make our, our Christian life about something else, about coming to church or about following rules or, or whatever you want to make it. It is about changing to become more like Christ. And I want us to come back to Colossians chapter 3 and, and be reminded of the way in which our lives should be changing. This is all good stuff. Take out a pen. Take out a pen, if you would, a highlighter, a tube of lipstick, something to write with. I want you to be ready to underline phrases in, in Colossians chapter 3. Help yourself out uh, because you need to remember some of these things. Colossians chapter 3. Let's start with verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2, underline this. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Underline that. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Underline that. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I love that language. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That's the purpose of your life. Underline that. You learn to know your creator and become like him. 
In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Underline that. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. It's all there. That, that's good. It's all good. Last New Year's married couple decided they were going to make some changes. They were going to lose some weight. So they went on a, a New Year's diet last January 1st. Anybody ever done that before? Uh, last January 1st, New Year's diet. Husband and wife together because you got to do it together. And so uh, they did really well for two days. January 1st, good day, good day. January 2nd, good day, good day. January 3rd, a good day until bedtime when the husband, right before bed, stood up and said, I'm making myself a bowl of ice cream. To which the wife responded, make me one too. So he went in the kitchen and made gigantic bowls of ice cream and they sat down as the news was on and they ate ice cream and then they sat there with those empty bowls and those really full bellies and they felt really guilty. You ever done that? Really guilty. At which point the wife said, well, there goes our New Year's diet. And the husband said, well, there's always next year. Yeah, just to let you know, it's next year. It's, it's next year already. It's, it's a new year on us already. When we think about change, when we think about what is important to us, we tend to think about the physical life. We do exactly the opposite of what the scripture says when it says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. This is one of the most basic principles of the Christian life, the, the, the spiritual life. You have to think about the things of heaven, spiritual things, and not earthly things. This is very, very difficult for us because we tend to think that our life is all wrapped up in physical things. This morning here in church, Wynn and Juliana are here and their family. They lost everything. They lost everything in a house fire on Christmas Day, including their house. They lost everything. They got out with the food, just the clothes on their backs. You understand that? lost everything. But if you talk to Wynn Simmons today, and I encourage you to do so, Wynn will tell you that he's got it all. He's still a man that has it all. He's got his family today. He has Christ. He, he, he's got it all. It, it's, 
difficult to make any of us understand how our life is not wrapped up in the stuff of earth. Whatever struggles you have in your Christian life and whatever way you are, are not following Christ, I promise you it probably boils down to this very simple principle. You, you, continue, you continue to think about the things of earth and, and you do not think well about the things of heaven. This has got to change. This has got to change. Notice what the scripture says. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I'm in verse 2, now verse 3. For you died to this life. You died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. You died to this life. And your real life, your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's really difficult to absorb and really difficult to understand, but you've got to grasp this. Your, your real life is not down here. Your real life has nothing to do with the next text message that's going to scroll across your phone. Your real life has nothing to do with your Twitter feed. Your real life has nothing to do with school. Your real life has nothing to do with work. Your real life really doesn't have a whole lot to do with your marriage. Your real life has nothing to do with the clothes that you're wearing. Your real life has nothing to do with the house that you live in. Your real life has nothing to do with that gigantic TV that you worship. Your real life has nothing to do with the car you drive. It has nothing to do with the money in your purse. Your real life is not down here. If you have come to Christ, if you've experienced the, the, the salvation that Christ brings, then you have died to all of this. You're dead to it. It means it has no effect on you. It has no pull on your heart. Your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is hidden. In other words, if you're going to find your life, your real life, who you really are, then you've got to seek Christ. Your real life is hidden in Christ. You will not find it down here. You will not find it. It really isn't going to come on any TV show, no matter what satellite or cable system you have. You understand? Your real life is only found in Christ, hidden in God. You understand? It's It's hidden. That, I don't like to do a lot of Greek stuff because I don't know a lot of Greek. I just know the fun words. And one of the fun words is this one. Your real life is hidden. The Greek word is crypto. Crypto. Awesome word. Crypto. Think about words, English words that, that sound like crypto, that, that have that root. Can you think of any? What about encryption? It's a big word now in our internet age. We're always afraid that somebody's going to steal our identity. Isn't that interesting? So often our computer information is encrypted. Encrypted. What does that word mean, encrypted? Yeah, it's, it's hidden. How? Encrypted. What does that mean? Your information is somehow it's translated into some sort of code. That's what I'm assuming, that when it says my information's been encrypted, I love that. It simply means that if anybody were to run across it, they wouldn't be able to make anything of it because it's now been encoded. It's been translated into some sort of code. And unless you know the key to that code, 
you can't understand it. You can't translate it. It's been encrypted. So this is the kind of language that's used here in Scripture to talk about my real life, your real life. It's encrypted. It's been hidden with Christ in God. That means your life is basically indecipherable. If you're trying to make meaning, to make some sort of sense out of your life, your life is, is, is not cipherable. You can't make meaning. You can't translate it unless you somehow find Christ, unless you can understand that everything in your life gets its meaning. The code is broken through Christ. You have to turn to Christ in order to find your real life. It's encrypted. It's hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so that word crypto, it has to do with all of those words that, that we translate with, with codes and encryption. But there's another word, crypto. What else does that sound like? Back in, was it the 80s, 90s, there was a show called Tales of the Crypt Keeper. Remember that? The Crypt Keeper. Yeah, what's a crypt? None of you watch late night TV in the 80s, apparently. What's a crypt? The crypt keeper. Yeah, it's a cave or a tomb. Yeah, it's a grave. It's a grave. So a crypt is a place where you would hide, where you would bury a dead body. It's the same word, the same root. So truly, my life is buried. My life is hidden. I have died to this world, and now my life is, is hidden with Christ in, in God. My real life. My real life. That's what the scripture means when it says, and when Christ, who is your life, you understand? Christ is your life. He's not part of your life. He, he's not just your Sunday morning. He is your life. That means he's everything. That means in this world, if you were to lose everything but still have Christ, you understand, then you still have it all. You've lost nothing because Christ is your life. Christ is everything. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Jump down to verses 10 and 11. If you sometimes wonder what your life is about, if you wonder if your life has a point, if you wonder if your life has a purpose, you say, I, Brother Tim, I just don't understand God's will for me, then let me tell you very plainly God's will for your life. It's right here. It's not difficult to understand. Verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you, here it is, learn to know your creator and become like him. Your life is Christ. Your life is hidden. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And this is what your life is about. It has one purpose, and that is to know your creator, to learn to know your creator, and become like him. This is what everything leads toward. This is why you're alive. This is what Christ is doing. He wants you to know God, and you learn to know God for one purpose, and that is so that you can become like him. The entire Christian life is conversion. It's about change. It's about becoming holy as God himself is holy. That means everything in, in the road of my life is leading me to become more like Christ. To learn to know your creator and become like him. That's what it's all about. That's why you live. This is what's happening. So, so here it is. If I know you for years and years and years, and you know me for years and years and years, you should be able to observe something happening. 
you should be able to observe in my life a, a very slow but deliberate change happening where I'm becoming more like Christ every day. And the same is true as I observe your life. There's supposed to be a change. There's supposed to be a, a gradual but daily change where we're all becoming more and more like Christ. I, I guess the question is, what happened to the change? Not only do we not talk about it much in churches these days, I'm afraid that a lot of us as Christians, we don't experience it. We don't think like this. We have abandoned the, the real battle against sin in our own lives. We don't even think of ourselves as sinners anymore. Sometimes in my sermons, I've referred to myself as, as a sinner, and I've been reprimanded by people with the Brother Tim, you shouldn't talk like that. If I really thought you're as much as a sinner as you make yourself sound, I'd worry about you. Well, worry about me. Just worry about me, because I am a sinner, and, and so are you. And I take very, very seriously the sin in my life and the real desire that I have through Christ to root these things out of my life. They have no place there. Do you understand? There's a change taking place in my life. It's the change that Christ is producing as I learn to know my creator and become more like him. I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be perfect in this life. That means every day I just continue to strive and struggle. It's interesting because in this chapter, Paul chooses to use the language of clothing. Throughout these verses, he keeps talking about what you need to take off and what you need to put on. He, he uses this whole language of transformation, but the images that he uses, the, the, they all come down to, to clothing. This is the Sunday after Christmas. I know that a number of you are probably wearing new clothes today. Uh, you, you, look, you look fantastic. But you need to understand that in Paul's day, in the ancient world, when they talked about clothing, it's different than when we talk about clothing. The thing you need to understand is that in Paul's day for the church at, at, at Colossae, they didn't have a lot of clothes. They just wouldn't have. Nothing like what you have. And I know some of you think you're poor and, and, and you think you don't have much, but I promise you, compared to the people of the ancient world, you're wealthy. If you have uh, multiple changes of clothes, then, then you would be extraordinary. In the ancient world, it just it wasn't really common at all. Remember last Sunday when I was preaching about John the baptizer, and, and, and one of the details in that passage, someone says, John, what should we do? They're talking about the life of repentance. John, what should I do? And he said, well, if you have two coats, you should wear one while the other one's in the laundry. Is that what he said? If you have two coats... No, he said, if you have two coats, you need to, you, you give one away. Yeah. The assumption was the only coat you need is one. You see, that was the ancient world. Clothes were not luxuries. Clothes were not something that you had a lot of. You, you didn't get up in the morning and go throw open the closet door and, and decide if you're in a blue mood today or a green mood today. You just didn't do that. Clothes were necessities. Clothes were what you wore to protect yourself against the heat or, or the cold. It wasn't a means of self-expression. If you were very, very wealthy, you might have multiple uh, changes of clothes, but most people only had the clothes on their back. And they considered that that's all they needed. You understand? So when Paul says you need to take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes, this is not something that you do on a whim. It's not like I'm going to put on compassion today because I'm feeling compassionate today. No, no, no. 
No. When you take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes, you understand the new clothes are just your way of being in the world. You're not going to take those new clothes off again. You don't keep the old clothes around. This is a, a total transformation here. A, a total transformation. So notice the language that he uses, starting in verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. He's talking to Christians. You have sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. So you think, well, Brother Tim, I'm glad you said that. I, I, I wish you just hit that for a while because there are a lot of sexually immoral people in this church. And I'm glad you're finally going to let them have it. Well, there probably are. There probably are. I, I, I have to say on Sunday morning, you all look fine to me. But I'm sure there are sexually immoral people in our congregation. And probably it's time for me to let you have it. I'm sure some of you wishing I would. But understand, understand what comes very next. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. You see, it comes right there next. In other words, sir, your greed is every bit as offensive to God as somebody else's homosexuality. Do you understand that? Your greed, as a matter of fact, if we keep reading the list, and you're going to wish that we wouldn't, as we keep reading the list, your anger, your anger is every bit as offensive to God as someone else's adultery. You see, our tendency is to want the preacher or to want the scripture to speak against the sins that we're not guilty of. That's why we just love, we just love when the church or the preacher will stand up and let all the homosexuals have it because you don't think you have a homosexual bone in your body. So honestly, if I preach against homosexuality, you're going to say amen and amen and you're going to get that CD and you're going to send that video on the internet to all the gay people you know. Because it's just delicious. It's just delicious to talk about the sins that lurk within other people. But you're missing the point of the Christian life. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. If you want to make a very, very strong stand against sin, let's start with your own sin. Start with your sin. Nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Of course not. Sex is God's beautiful gift given for a man and his wife, period. Any sexual expression, any sex life you have that, that is not related to your being married to a man or a woman, you understand? Any sexual life you have outside of marriage, it is sin. Whether it's adultery or whether it's homosexuality or, or whatever it, it is, sexual immorality is sin. Sure is the world. Have nothing to do with it. It's totally out of place in the Christian's life. But don't be greedy either. You understand? For a greedy person is an idolater. It, it's not funny, but it, it kind of is. I had a guy visit our church a while back. He said, Brother Tim, you let divorced men be deacons in this church? I said, yeah, we do. We have some divorced deacons. He was gone. Boom. Never came back. Never came back. Apparently, being in a church with divorced deacons was completely intolerable to him. But you know what? The, the funny thing is, I've never had anybody, I've never had anybody come in and say, Brother Tim, you got greedy deacons in this church? You got greedy deacons? 
Because we got some of those too. But isn't it interesting? Because the very same passage, the very same passage that they go to say right there, it says a deacon's got to be a husband of one wife. Well, it, the same passage says they can't be a lover of money. But I've never seen anybody get mad and leave because the deacons loved money. It's interesting how we love to cherry pick the sins that we're going to take seriously. Because the Bible never does that. In the same list, nothing to do with sex and immorality and don't be greedy either. Greedy is a greedy person is an idolater. Because of these sins, in other words, sins like yours, the wrath of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now's the time to, to, to put off, to, to take off anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. You've stripped off all your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. You've taken these things off, he says, like old clothes, like old, dirty, stinking clothes that finally you have the opportunity to to shed yourself of. You take these things off. This is not how we are in the world. This is not how we look. This is not appropriate for a Christian's life. You understand? It's a change. It's conversion. And the question for you today is to look at this list and look at the sin lurking inside your own life and ask yourself, what do you need to take off? What do you need to put away? You need to put away your anger, sir. You need to put away your slander, ma'am, your your dirty language. you got to quit lying to people, you understand? For you stripped off your old sinful nature. Verse 10, instead, put on your new nature. Here's the wardrobe change. Here are the new clothes. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Interestingly, the Greek word there for anyone, it means anyone. Anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Understand, you you, you put certain things away that they have no place in your life now. And you put other things on. Things like mercy, patience, forgiveness, and love. You're saying, Brother Tim, I could do that. I could, I could act kind, but I'm not feeling kind. And I'd just rather not be a hypocrite. That's what some of you are thinking. I'm not going to walk in there and act like I love everybody. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm just going to be myself. We're begging you here. We're begging you to quit being yourself. I mean, we are. We've taken a vote, and we're begging you. Stop acting like yourself. You need to start acting like Christ. And at first, it may seem a little weird to you, but we would all welcome the weirdness. We would welcome if you just give this a try. You understand? Would you just give it a try? Even if it feels a little like it's not you, if it feels like the clothes you're putting on that belong to Christ don't exactly fit you, would you just give it a try? Because you need to understand, at first, none of this seems to fit us. 
this kindness and forgiveness and mercy and patience. That's not me. That's not me, but it is Christ. And I'm trying to learn to know him so I can become more like him. At first when I put these things on, it, it may not seem to fit me, but, but I put them on anyway. There's a lady uh, was uh, watching TV in her own house one day, and there's a little bitty knock on the door, little knock. When she went open the door, the neighbor kids were standing at her door, but they were dressed in their parents' clothes. You ever seen kids play dress up? This little girl had on all of her mama's clothes, big hat and coat and shoes and carrying a purse. The girl's five years old. Her little brother was three, and he was wearing one of his daddy's suits, giant pants, giant jacket, tie. Little girl, little boy standing there. And the little girl immediately started talking all grown up. She said, well, well good afternoon, ma'am. We thought we might like to come by and pay you a visit. So the older lady said, well, by all means, come on in. So she brought him in, the little girl, little boy, walking in these giant clothes. They, they walked in. She sat him down in her formal living room, sat him down on the couch, and the lady began treating him like a little lady, little gentleman. She said, could I interest you in, in some refreshments? The little girl said, that would be lovely, lovely. So the woman went in and she brought back some lemonade and cookies, put them on a nice tray, brought them in, sat them down in front of the little boy and little girl, poured the lemonade in little teacups. They drank lemonade in teacups and ate cookies. Just sat there like a little lady, little gentleman. They finished their lemonade. They talked. It was really kind of funny, really kind of sweet and nice. And then the older lady finally said, can I give you some more lemonade? The little girl said, um, no, actually, I think we must be going. My husband has wet his pants. <laughs> You've seen, perhaps, kids dress up in clothes that don't quite fit. My point is, in time, they'll probably grow into them. And this is what the Christian life is like for us. We intentionally and deliberately choose to put some things on that at first don't really seem natural to us because they're not. They're not. If you want to talk about something not being exactly like you, well, well tender-hearted mercy for a lot of us just really isn't something that comes naturally. We would have to deliberately put that on, and we'd have to practice that for a while because we're not naturally merciful kindness. I have to admit, some of you are very, very kind, but some of you just aren't. You're, you just aren't. And if you had to be kind, it would take work for you. And we're saying, yeah, this is the kind of work that you need to start putting in to your Christian life. You have to deliberately choose to put kindness on every day. Humility, gentleness, and, and, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. I'll be the first one to say forgiveness isn't easy. It doesn't come naturally for us. That's going to take a lot of work. But, but some of you have stopped working on these things. And this is the point. You don't ever get to stop working on these things. The problems in your spiritual life are your problems. They're not other people's fault. If you can't forgive other people, it's not because they're so bad. You understand? Whatever they've done, you still have to forgive. You're not the exception to any of these rules. You don't get to walk around and not be kind. 
You don't get to walk around angry all the time, sir. Do you understand this? You just don't get to do that. When you begin to live like the world again, you have stepped off. You've stepped off the, the, the path that Christ has for your life. It's about change. It's about conversion. Verse 11, it says that Christ is all that matters to us. Christ is all that matters to us. So, so it, perhaps it raises a question. If Christ is all that matters to us, then what is it that matters to Christ? Understand the question? If Christ is all that matters to us, then what is it that matters to, to Christ? And then I look at these things. These things that we're told to put on as holy people that he loves. Put on mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and above all, love. The really interesting thing about every one of those qualities is that they are only qualities that can be expressed in relationship. You understand that? All of these qualities are qualities that I need when I'm around other people. You can call yourself kind, and it's actually pretty easy to be kind as long as you stay home by yourself. Understand? You can be kind out in the bass boat in the middle of the lake, and there's nobody out there but you. But kindness is something that you need when you get around difficult people. Tender-hearted mercy is something you need when you are in the company of difficult people. Forgiveness is something that you need when you are in the company of people who hurt you. People who rub you the wrong way. People who offend you. Do you understand? Every single one of these qualities has to do with how we relate to other people. So the question... If Christ is all that matters to us, then what is it that matters to Christ? Obviously, what matters to Christ is how we get along with other people. That's what matters to Christ. That's why Paul says, above all else, above all else, verse 14, clothe yourself with love above all else. Now, whatever it is in your life that you think it's a priority, whether it's making more money or taking care of your family or, or, or keeping a, a nice yard or improving your golf game, Scripture says, above all else, you clothe yourselves with love. You, you put on love. That means the way you treat other people is going to be dramatically changed because you have chosen to put on the love of Christ. It's not an option. This is a commandment above all. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. It's, it, it's, it's still a struggle. It, it's still a struggle. We put on these things that don't seem natural to, to us. And, and for a while, we, we will probably almost seem like we're just working or... or, or or, or trying to be somebody we're not. It may seem like hypocrisy. But I'm telling you, this is the kind of hypocrisy that, that we need more of. People trying to be better. People trying to act more like Christ. We, we need this. Brother Tim, it sounds like to me that's all outside. You, you put on clothes and that's the outside. But what about the inside? I can act kind, and I can smile, and I can grin, and I can say I've forgiven, and I can say that I've given up my anger, but I know different. In my heart, nothing changes. I can put the clothes on the outside, but, but what is it that changes the man? What changes the woman on the inside? Well, Christ. 
Honestly, whenever we're talking about chains, we're talking about Christ. Because only Christ can change a man. Only Christ can change a woman. You don't have the power in yourself to improve yourself. I mean, you know that, right? If you could make yourself better, you'd already be better. You don't have this in you. And the scripture says you put on these things like clothes, and in some ways it is about the outward behavior. And Christ wants to change your outward behavior, but it's not just about your outward behavior. Christ wants to change your heart. He wants to change you on the inside as well, but that's his part. You have to choose what you put on the outside. You have to choose how you behave and how you relate to others. You have to choose to forgive. You have to choose mercy and kindness and, and patience. You must choose these things. That's your part. But it's Christ's part to make it true on the inside. That's what he does. He changes you on the inside. And how does he do it? Very simply, look at the word. Let the peace that comes from Christ, what's the word, verse 15, rule. The peace that comes from Christ, rule in your hearts. How does Christ change your heart? By ruling it. Understand? He's supposed to rule your heart. Talking to Christians today. I'm talking to church people today, and I just want to ask, when did Christ stop ruling your heart? When did you decide to go back and act like the world again? When did you decide that anger and unforgiveness and, and, and slander and sexual immorality, when did you decide that these things were appropriate for you again? When did you decide that your sin was okay? When did you decide that, that becoming like Christ was no longer the goal for your life? When did you stop thinking about spiritual things and start thinking so much about earthly things again? I'm just asking you today to, to come back to the Christian life. Come back to a life of conversion. Understand that your life has one single purpose, and that is to know your Creator and become like Him. Understand that your heart has one ruler, one master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ who must rule your heart so that he can change your heart. In some ways, you could say it's like, it's like changing clothes. And there are some things that are very inappropriate. There are some things that are just out of place in your life. You must take those things off like old clothes and throw them away and then put on the new nature, put on the new life, put on Christ, Paul says. Because your real life is Christ. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And at whatever point you allowed your life to become about something else, Understand, you stopped living the Christian life. I'm begging you, come back to Christ. Come back to Him. 
Come back to letting him rule your heart. Come back to thinking and living, behaving like Christians. Come back to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, the old folks talked about conversion and change. They talked about it in real and everyday ways. They, they could pinpoint when their change came, Lord. Some of us just aren't changing in those ways. We still look a lot like the world. We still talk, think, act a lot like everybody else, Lord. We think a lot about physical things. We don't think as much about spiritual things. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would come back to the point where we recognize that our real life is, is buried, hidden, encrypted with you. And truly, Christ holds the key to understanding what our life is about. Lord Jesus, bring us back to you. Bring us back to the place where we could say with utter confidence that you and you alone are our life. Well, Jesus, help us to understand that, that everything in this world, all of our possessions, all the things that we buy and, and wrap up and exchange at Christmas, Lord, everything under the tree, the clothes on our back, Lord, all of these things are so very, very temporary and unimportant. Forgive us, Lord, for making earthly things our ultimate priorities, Lord. Help us not to think about those things, but to think about the things of Christ. Lord Jesus, we want to invite you to take your rightful place upon the throne of our lives and rule our hearts so that you can change our hearts. Lord Jesus, our simple prayer is that when other people see us, when they look into our face, when they watch the way we live in the world, we want them to see something of you, oh Jesus. We want them to see Christ. So, Lord, help us to take off the old life once and for all, put on a new nature. Lord Jesus, we give you permission to change us, to convert us. Help us to know you, Lord, so that we can become like you. Lord Jesus, make us more like you. We pray in your holy, precious name. I want you to come to him. If, if it's in your seat, in a word of prayer that you form in this moment, I want you to come to him. If it's at this altar where you come and kneel and pray, I just want you to come back to Christ. Come to him. You call yourself a Christian, then be a Christian. Live like a Christian. Let Christ rule your heart. Come back to him. You've got changes that need to be made, sir. You've got real changes, ma'am, that must be made. Get serious about the sin in your life. Get serious about Christ. He is your life. If you have a physical need for healing, the deacons will meet you on the organ side to pray for you.